what happened and the changes with the over-the-counter with caps because you know obviously uh colorado did make those the commission did make those next two units uh limited draw and you know I, i'm i'm looking at it, i just don't see my my opinion is i just don't see OD, otc units surviving in the long term no i don't i i think you're correct so it'd be interesting to explore uh, a couple ideas with that. Sound good? Yeah, you bet. All right. So then let's just let's just kick it off to keep the the bulk of the um, should be recording. Yes, yes, recording. Yes. Okay. Um, and I'm praying that this is going to work. This is actually working. You want me to record it as well? That's a, actually a damn good idea. That's that's yeah, probably there's a problem. I can always send it to you. That's a, that's a smart play. That's a smart play. Yeah. Are you good to go? Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's actually smart. That that's yeah. See, this is why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> All right. All right. Three, two, one. Hey everybody. Welcome to the row hunting resources podcast. All right. So today we're going to uh, do, what is it? Uh, my, how the turntables. So today, rather than me being on Rob Petuto's uh, podcast, the Stickbow Chronicles podcast, talking about all sorts of wonderful, glorious things, I've actually invited Rob to come on this side of the microphone, uh, not to talk about uh, trad hunting or anything like that per se, but we're going to explore, I, wanna, I just kind of want to explore the idea of whether or not over-the-counter elk licenses and given the fact that, you know, Rob, bow hunter, me, bow hunter, most of the people that, you know, follow me are, are bow hunters, let's, let's just, I mean, we, I guess, Rob, we can, we can take it wherever we want to take it, but my thought process here is archery. Let's just, let's just entertain archery for at least a little bit are over-the-counter licenses at least for archery hunting uh, are, are they on their way out are, are we seeing the end of over-the-counter licenses because um colorado just and literally as in What's today today? Yesterday. So today's the 13th. Yesterday, the 12th of January, 2022, uh, Colorado Wildlife Commission accepted the staff recommendation that units, elk unit, well, just game management units in Colorado, game management units 80 and 81, go from over-the-counter archery licenses to limited draw archery licenses now i said that specifically 80 and 81 were over the counter for archery and rifle obviously muzzle loaders limited but over the counter for archery in the past now it is going to go limited draw for archery because per the uh, testimony no, and I, I am familiar with these two units based on a lot, a lot of people that contact me. One of the things that I do through Row Hunting Resources 
if people want a secondary eye, if you will, a, a, a critical eye on their hunt planning and their their strategy and, and the whole nine yards. So somebody gives a whole say, Chris, I'm planning on a hunt out west. I want to go to a certain area. This is what I'm thinking. Can we sit down and talk and go through the map, go through Google Earth? Can we go through everything and just, you know, you tell me what you think? And absolutely. That's something I've done for years. And I don't share other people's information. Uh, it's confidential, but I will go through your hunt plan with you and your, your area, your scouting. What have you looked at? What have you seen? You basically, you line out what you've looked at in the area that you're looking at. And then I'm going to go and give you my thoughts on what I would do if I was going to do the same thing and some other thoughts. So the number of people that in the past have contacted me about units 80 and 81 is absolutely insane. So it's no surprise that 80 and 81 get absolutely hammer with non-resident hunter pressure. Uh, now, that's not to say it's the only units in the state. Obviously, a lot of places in Colorado get hammered with non, uh, non-resident hunter pressure. But for some reason, maybe it's because people know that I like the, I generally like the southern half of Colorado. I, I really do like that southern uh, portion of Colorado. So maybe that's why people contact me when they're going to, going to go to Southern Colorado, but the number of people that contact in the past that have contacted me at unit 80 and 81 about wanting to go hunt there is insane. And the, the first thing that I always tell them is I'm like, okay, you do realize that you and every other, you, you 12 other of you and your brother's uncles are all going to go the same place. The, the, the place gets hammered. And that's always the number one discussion is the hunter pressure that just is in there. Well, over the past several years, and from what I've heard and, and other people talking, the state made several other over-the-counter units in the southwest part of the state, limited draw because of elk population issues. Well, when those went limited draw, a large percentage of the people that used to hunt in those places, didn't want to go limited draw units. And so they bailed and they went to the next nearest over-the-counter units, which was 80, 81 and some other places as well. But the hunter pressure in 80 and 81 in archery, these past, especially these past five years, has just gone through the roof. Just insane. And a lot of the testimony and the, and the comments and who people I've talked to, this past year was basically the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of people. It was just stupid with a hunter pressure. And so, Can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, did it go um, draw just for yes. uh, non-residents? No, no. Okay. It's just for archery, but it's draw across the board. Great question. And I want to talk about that because this is where you come in, brother, because you in Idaho. Okay. So let me, I was setting the stage of what of why I want to talk about this com- this conversation. Okay, so obviously 80 and 81 straw that broke camel's back. The agency recommended let's make it because hunter satisfaction is going precipitously downward. Harvest is going downward. The number of hunters is just going through the roof. The agency decided to make it limited draw. And so the Wildlife Commission met yesterday. They discussed it unanimous they went with staff's uh, recommendation. It is now limited draw for everyone that wants to hunt archery season. Okay. 
Now, why is Rob here? Rob, you live in Idaho, yeah? Yep. Okay, whereabouts in Idaho do you live? Uh, right. right now, I live in northern Idaho. Uh, I spent Up on the time. Panhandle. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm about 60, 70 miles from British Columbia. Oh, okay. uh, But I've got uh, quite a bit of experience in the central part of the state and uh, in the Frank Church wilderness. So you're part of one of those militia groups up there. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Camouflage hat. I must be. I was just going to say, I got well, a black, you got a black no, shirt. The good, old, camouflage. <laughs> the good old days, those folks were around, but uh, not so much anymore. Uh, We've been Californiaized. <clears throat> FBI. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> People listen. Hey, I got a good story about the FBI or yeah, the FBI. I'll tell you offline. Oh, of course. It's, it's, it's got to be confidential. It's, it's got to be confidential. Oh, no, it's, it's funnier than <laughs> It involves my son. Well, I threw oh, my son to the wolves. It's, this, is, this is just going to keep getting better. It's, it's going to keep story. getting better. This is why I want you on. It will not be recorded, though. <laughs> <clears throat> Knock on wood. Um, all right. So the reality is, is so Idaho, and the reason why, Rob, the reason why I wanted you on here, you've been in Idaho now for what, the past, what, 30 years? Yeah, correct. Okay. So you were in Idaho. And in our last podcast, when I was on your podcast, you alluded to the fact that you were up there back in the heyday when, you know, gospel hump. Well, is it the gospel hunt or gospel hump or is it Buffalo hump wilderness? Gospel hump. Gospel Gospel hump. hump. Okay. That's where my family went like back in the eighties, a couple of times. We had friends that live at, they still do down in Grangeville. Yeah. Um, So it used to be good. I mean, and you were talking about, just how good it used to be and the outfitter camps and it, it was there an airstrip up there that you, you well, were ta- yeah so when we were talking um and we we could just covered it briefly about the um you know the economic impact of um of good hunting and i i specifically uh was guiding in the frank church wilderness uh late 80s early 90s and i was on cha- uh chamberlain basin airstrip and that's just one of several airstrips in the Frank Church. So that's where my experience was, was in now, Chamberlain. Is, this, is, is it a private airstrip or is it on uh, National Forest? No, it's on National Forest. Yeah, there's, there's several um, public Seriously? airstrips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Managed what makes by it. the Forest Service? Um, I don't, I mean, it's it just Forest a dirt Service strip. Land. Yeah, it's a, just a dirt strip. Yeah. They okay. used they, you know, they had a ranger station on there, but yeah, I mean, private people just fly in. You could hire, um, you know, a flight service and they'd come in and drop you off the wall tent and stuff. And a lot of people, um, uh, just, uh, you know, trailed horses in. So a guy would, might trail six or eight or 10 head of horses in and his buddy flies the saddles in and, um, you know, they meet at the airstrip and it was, it was wall to wall people. I mean, I say that, but it it wasn't a problem. It was one airstrip out of many because the hunting was so great that uh, it was such a great experience that it was a jump off spot. So it'd be like a wide spot. I mean, literally like a wide spot, um, you know, on a forest service road, you're just in the front, you're in the Frank church wilderness. People would just camp there and, uh, and go from there. I mean, it was, so if it, so back in the day, you know, how many camps would be around that airstrip area? Are well, we talking 10? Are we talking 30? Um, you know, you know there'd probably be 10 to 15. 
but but on that airstrip now now also guys were packing you know they meet their buddy on the airstrip flying all the supplies and then they were packing in you know sure on, on one of the several trails they they would you know pack six eight ten miles from the airstrip and set up a camp so oh I mean, okay all right so yeah, okay so, yeah all right so it wasn't like everybody was just hunting out from it's it's not like a bunch of rvs where everybody's no. staying in the camp no, it was and, dispersed and yeah it okay. was dispersed and we're talking just about one airstrip now you know you're talking about uh, back in the 80s and, and early 80s and, and through the 90s i mean that was all over i mean every wide spot every you know in the in you know on a forest service road you know all the other airstrips i mean the economic impact uh was huge it was um you know it was a viable um uh source of income for the state and, and not just a source of income, but it was uh, a, a recreation. I mean, it was huge recreational. Sure. Uh, aspect now, to it. So there's going to be a couple, uh, and, and we're probably going to go down different rabbit holes here, but let's just play with it. Do you remember if there were any surveys, hunter satisfaction surveys back then, or do you remember what the general, um, I guess attitude of hunters was back then. Obviously, it sounds like it's a pretty busy area, but it sounded like people were able to get away. You know, what, what was the general I, culture back then, the attitude. So, so I I hunted a uh, I hunted a separate unit. We would be able to hunt for a couple of weeks prior to when we had to fly in and start guiding. So we we start hunting August thirtieth. All the guides would be hunting, and you know our season back there started September fifteenth. So we would be able to hunt for a couple of weeks. I would say that the perception is everything uh okay. back then i agree we, we we would talk about overcrowding when we'd see two or three people in, you know in a week yeah because you're you're right? going into the frank church wilderness well no specifically i'm talking about an area that we were driving to oh uh, so okay. we would be bow hunting for a couple of weeks all the guys would be bow hunting for a couple of weeks if we saw a couple people we'd say holy crap this place is getting crowded so there is that there's the perception of overcrowding um uh, but but so so what I'm getting at is overcrowding has always been uh, um, on the docket. It's always been a complaint as as far as I can remember. But uh, was it really? It was a perception. The, the relative perception, yeah, yeah. Has, so, has changed. Yeah. So I would say, uh, without hesitation, that through my 30 years, that was one of the um biggest topics when um when we were talking um hunter hunter satisfaction you know I, I, it's always been in idaho uh as far as i i'm aware of it was never a um you know trophy quality was always a second because we we've, we've got big country we've got inaccessible country those elk were able to grow uh to maturity we had mature bulls. We had big bulls because of the inaccessibility. Yeah. It's always been um, hunter satisfaction was always based on, um, on, on the experience on overcrowding, you know, how many people you're bumping into. Okay. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you is because Idaho has gone through a couple of different changes that I think might be similar to where Colorado is heading down. So 
two things happened that that I want I I want you to fill in the details because I don't know. I, I we were just talking about as we were getting this thing fired up. Um, I know just enough to be completely clueless. Um, one, you guys ended up having wolves into the you know 1992 allowed to, allowed to proliferate throughout the state number one <laughs> yeah. which did a mat a major uh adjustment let's just say to your elk numbers let's just focus on elk let's not worry about deer or moose or anything else right now let's just let's just focus on elk okay so wolves came in and let's just say modified the distribution and abundance of, of, of elk, game of, of game. game yeah yeah there we go yeah. Uh, in certain areas, number one. Number two, at some point, because Idaho was one of those places where a non-resident hunter could buy a license over the counter. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. And at some point, the state put a throttle on that and they capped the number they, they capped the, the number of non-resident licenses or the, the number of licenses? Well, as far as I can get back, 1990, um, there was 12,800 and change um, non-resident tags available. And they were dispersed um, throughout the state in zones. Let's just, let's just say 13,000. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that, that number has never, since 1990, has not changed. Okay. So 13,000 non-resident tags. So what I just heard was that even though, okay, let me take a step back. They were over the counter though, right? A, a they were over the counter, but they're first come, first serve, right? You can buy them, but. Okay, the but, back, okay but back then or now? Both. They, 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 they changed the distribution. When you talk now, the last two years, they changed the distribution. They, they kept the same number of tags, but they dis- distributed them, distributed it. <laughs> Easy for me to say. <laughs> distributed them um, differently. Okay. So, okay. Then let's, I don't want to jump, but maybe we do. Because we we are, I guess most everybody knows about what's going on with the wolves. I mean, the wolves, and that's probably why. Okay, let's just let's just jump to it. So what? Okay, the the biggest thing that you, that I picked up, I, I have not hunted uh, Idaho personally archery. Um, I've got friends that live up there that at, we are we're trying to do it at some point. We got to make it happen. I just I would like he's the my original with Jake and I. You should come with Jake and I. That's fine. I mean, but Ryan's coming with because Ryan and I, Ryan Poole, uh, he's an attorney up there. Uh, he's my college buddy, man. He's, he's the one that I cut my teeth elk hunting and, uh, we just went, you know, professionally different ways. And he went back, he's got family up in the Idaho, Montana area. And so he went back home and, and we just haven't been able to connect an elk hunt since the thing that hit my radar screen, it seems like in the past, and this is the general buzz these past several years is the fact that Idaho sells out of their non-resident quota, like in what, 30 minutes. Yeah. I, 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 I somebody, uh, a, a guy that had been on the podcast from Arkansas, what they, it went online, it went on sale at like 10 mountain time, December 2nd. He messaged me at, uh, Oh, quarter of 11. 
and said his number in line was 18,000 and something. That's yeah, okay. it's insane. I don't know but how that. The, okay. But yeah. that didn't usually, that was not the normal case. No, right. No, well, normal case fluctuation. I don't know when you want to get into this part of the discussion. Well, let's, let's start. Okay. Then let's do me a favor and let's just start at the beginning because I, I, I would like to see if there is a parallel with Colorado or if it's completely apples and oranges, I still want to go down in the weeds and, and we'll talk about unintended consequences and, and kind of, you know, the over the counter thing. But for me in my mind, and maybe I'm completely wrong. It seemed like Idaho has gone down a similar path that Colorado, maybe, maybe it's not the same path, but it sounds like they're damn in my mind. It sounds like maybe they're parallel and it'd be cool. It'd be interesting to know. So, so go right through it. So when the wolves came in, let's just jump to when the wolf population started to climb. Yeah. So we had a great, we have, we had a great, um, um, healthy elk herd, uh, you know, through, throughout the state, uh, we, we had healthy elk numbers. We had good success rate. We had mature animals and I, and I'm talking very broad brush. You know, I, I say that I know some of central Idaho and some of Northern Idaho, there's a lot more states. So I'm, I'm painting a, with a broad yeah. brush, but but elk hunting was at its peak in the nineties, um, coming into the nineties in Idaho, you know, you have all the, um, you, you have the, uh, brain fart. Hang on a second. My dog is just running by me. Um, peak. You had the you, peak you, in your nineties for your elk hunting. Yeah. And, um, when they, when they introduced the wolves, uh, you know, they started to really, dramatically and quickly impact certain areas. One of them being the Frank church as game numbers dropped. The non-residents quit buying those tags. And when that happened, our, our fishing game is funded solely on sportsman's dollars. Uh, it's managed by the legislators, but it is funded by sportsman's dollars. So as the non-residents quit coming to the state, it dang near bankrupt the department. We had all those leftover tags. Nobody was buying them. That's when they started to offer them to the residents at the non-resident price. So I could go and, you know, buy my panhandle uh, elk tag and also buy a non-resident, um, you know, uh, beaverhead zone tag. So at, at a non-resident price, because they were trying to sell the tags. So we went through this, this I don't want to say decade long, but it was uh, probably seven or eight years where we were not selling tags and they were, they were falling apart. I know so, that. Uh, sorry, keep on that thought. So, but just from a time, stand, time frame, are we now, are we talking about rolling into the early 2000s here? Not yet. Um, 97, 98 then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Talking central Idaho, a lot of, um, of that country, it was 96, 97, 98. Um, things were collapsing. No, a little later than that. It's probably, probably was about 2000. Things are starting to collapse and they start offering the uh, non-resident tags to residents. Um, and uh, just trying to survive. And it was, it was frustrating talking a little personal personal, uh, speaking personally, you know, we had all these non-residents coming and, and we needed help, 
with these wolves and, and all of a sudden they don't show up um, and, and their dollars don't show up. But once things, once the, I'm going to get in trouble here. You're going you're gonna to get me in trouble. Once the residents start to uh, start to put things together, <laughs> Dude, this, all the this, non-residents, you, you know, the non-residents. Come, come on, you, you know, you've listened to my, you know, Chrissy's going to start talking at some point and, and come on. Okay. Fair point. And I, and you, you've got to go where you want to feel comfortable going, but I mean, we've already had the, I've already come out with my podcast and said enough is enough of the bullshit. We need to start having real conversations, no matter how uncomfortable it is for certain people. You know, we, we got onto the topic of Matt Rinella and some of his, and I'm, I've got a whole, I've got stacks of notes for that, that I want to dive into. And, and we end up talking about it, uh, or maybe you hear blood origins talking about some of these things. I think the vast majority of people that I, that I get feedback from and, and that I hear, people are sick and tired of fake conversations that, you know, now I'm not, I'm not trying to get you in trouble, but yeah. I'm telling no. you, you're welcome to just, well, loose. not well, to we're trying people, to, but to be just, just to, let's just have an honest conversation as far as, as deep as you want to go. So at the time people are spending four five, $600 to come and hunt Idaho, you know, tags and licenses at the time. Yeah. Just the, the tags and license. Yeah. 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 And, um, uh, when they quit coming and our department starts to collapse, the, you know, people that lived here, it was, um, you know, it's our passion and we're trying to fix this. You know, we're working with legislators. We're trying to, to, to put together a program to suppress the predators, you know, wolves. And, uh, you know, we work our tails off, we get beat up. And, uh, you know, once we start to turn the corner and start to be able to manage wolves, well, then the residents or the non-residents start to buy the tags again, right? They start coming mm-hmm. back and infusing money into our department. Um, you know, the tags, I think now are upwards of $1,000 for license and tags. But it was a little frustrating at the time thinking like, hey, you guys all abandoned us. We put this back together. Now you come <laughs> and spend $1,000 in my state and you think like you're, you, you have the same rights as me? All right. I want you to pause a minute because I'm going to make some notes here because we're going to round back to that sucker. Okay. (laughs) Pause. Don't lose your train of thought. I need to make a note. Hold on. It's not my email address, is it? No, no, no. (laughs) No, no. That's already going to be posted with a direct link um, with with a photo. And uh, your address, so people know where to find you. What was that shirt? You had a sweatshirt with your company yeah. logo on. No, don't on bring it? my. No, no, that's a <laughs> that's a public utility. I don't, I don't need that. Okay, I, I'm, I'm writing this because I, this is literally one of my topics that I'm going to talk about. It, it, it kind of revolves around some of the pheasant hunting. Hold on. All right, go ahead. Keep going. So, um, as as we start to be able to manage some wolves and the game numbers rebound. And honestly, I mean, to be honest, the, the elk learn to live with the wolves a little bit too. I mean, there's, there's lots in play here. So as the uh, game, as the elk numbers start to rebound and uh, we start having good hunting again, see like it, the central part of the state really got hammered. It wasn't until the, um, Till uh, you know, 2007, 2008, nine, that the panhandle started to get hammered. You know, they worked their way up. Um, but 
once those tags started to sell, I mean, it started to pick up. Um, the it, the non-resident tags got a little bit harder to purchase. Got a little bit harder to purchase for the residents. Um, you know, things were things were looking up. Well, okay, wait, just, wait, wait, wait. Say, did I? Okay, say they get. Well, it, it game started, numbers it started. So it's it started getting. Okay, you said 2008, 2009, pan demand. The demand from non-residents started to pick up. No, well, yeah, yes, in the central part of the state. Okay, but what and what happened with residents? Um, we just, you know, they started buying up more of the non-resident tags, so they were less, they weren't available. Oh, uh, which is so, a good thing. Okay, so for you, okay, you're talking about your second tag. The, uh, yes, as, as, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right. That's now, and now that's that a good sense. thing. Okay. okay. That's yes, a good yeah, thing. So yeah. 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 So our game numbers started to come back and some of the non-residents started to come back. You know, it ebbed and flowed throughout the state. The panhandle was a little bit further behind the curve um, with the wolves. You know, we really got impacted in, in 2009, 2010 up, up here. Uh, but as a whole, you know, when, when elk numbers started to get better and, and non-residents started to come back, uh, it just kept climbing and, and you, and I think you can play into, you know, we've talked social media, we've talked, uh, the increase of, uh, interest in hunting. I mean, all, it was a perfect storm with non-residents coming to, um, um, Idaho and those non-resident tags got harder and harder to get the way they dispersed them. And it had never been a problem was suddenly becoming a problem when, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're hunting a unit and you're just seeing too many people. And that's a, that's a big factor in, in, uh, the Idaho department of fish and game is when, when they're looking at hunter satisfaction, it kept coming up that it was overcrowding. So to address it, they kept the same number of tags. I think in 2019, 2020, they made the change where they kept the same amount of tags, but they, I don't want to use the term micromanage, but they, they, they manage those tags on a smaller level. Okay. So, so pause, pause a minute. So I just want clarification and I apologize. So prior to this, Idaho, how many game management, how many elk units? Let's just, I don't, I don't gosh. care. Yeah. I don't yeah. care. Let's say there's 20 elk units. Is that, is that too many or a few, too few? Um, it, it zones, there would be 20 zones. zones. There's let's like say so. 60 or uh, 70 something zones in the state. Okay. Oh, okay. So yeah. let, let, let's say, let's say there's 75 zones just arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is prior to this ramp up after it started to get good again. And you're talking about 2008, 2009, generally speaking, the agency had in each zone, a non-resident quota for licenses uh, just, for that zone. Just for clarification, there'd be several zones. There'd be several zones lumped into a um, like yes. what we, yeah, 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 yeah. I understand. So okay, if, okay. So for in Colorado, for people who are familiar with Colorado, you have a game management unit. Yeah, we're on the same How, page. However, there are some, but there are several game management units in what Colorado calls a data analysis unit, a DAU. And so you might have an entire elk herd population that encompasses the, or that is found within a DAU, a data analysis unit. And in that data analysis unit, there might be two, three, 
for game management units. Generally speaking, those game management units are, by and large, managed in a similar way because it's all part of that same DAU. So is that similar to what you're talking about with Idaho? You might have a quote-unquote game management unit, but you might have three of those that are under one non-resident quota. Correct. Yeah. So okay. you've got units. So, so let's, so just from an arbitrary number sake, so people can get this clearly in their mind. So I'm, I'm a very visual person. I want to picture this in my mind. Let's say arbitrarily Idaho has 75 game management units, but because the way it's clumped, maybe there's 25 zones that have a quota. Does that each, each of those, have a non-resident quota. Does that make sense? Am I close? Yeah. 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 That's, that's how it works for sure. Okay. All right. All right. So there's, so let's just arbitrarily say there's 25 zones during this ramp up. The agency had a non-resident quota for each one of those zones. And what I'm hearing is, is the non-resident quotas were, I'm, I'm, let's just, Am I am I understand either close to being met or they were being met in those zones? And that was more than what maybe the elk population in that. How do how do I want to put this? So, it, so that the, the pressure of non-resident hunters in those zones was higher than what the resident hunters. Well, just 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 for uh, a sake of a visual person, say say you had um, a hundred tags in Z I, I'm just throwing out. I don't want to mm-hmm. throw any names. It's like Z zone, right? It had a hundred tags, but there's five units in Z zone. Okay. And the, in, in, in one of those zones was way better than everything else. Well, you had 90, 90 of those non-residents plus all the residents. I mean, let's be clear. There's becoming more residents in the state. So the residents are also, you know, part of the problem or, you know, quote, unquote, because there is no quota on resident hunters. Correct. Okay. In most and almost all there are a few cap zones. Yeah. Okay. So, so now you've got, uh, 90 of those hundred non-residents going into the one unit because it's so much good. So, so okay. All right. Now, okay. Now we're, now it makes sense. So you could have like an assemblage of three or five from a Colorado standpoint, game management units in this DAU, but none of the hunters aren't distributing distributing themselves across evenly across all those. They're all stacking in to the one really good unit. Correct. Okay. Now we're talking. All right. Keep going. Now it makes um, sense. Yeah. So again, you know, it's hunter satisfaction and it was overcrowding and, and, uh, in, in the department's charter, it, it states that their, uh, their first goal or mission is to, um, uh, manage for the residents of Idaho. So what they did was take this the number of tags, and they distributed. Distribute. I'm going to say that word again. Distributed <laughs> uh, them di- uh, differently, and I don't want to go into all the math because there is quite a formula that they were using. But uh, they started to break it down to where, you know, there might be say there's a hundred tags in Z zone. They're going to take those and break them up to where 
maybe 25 of them go into this unit and 30 go into this unit. You know, so they say, so they force them to disperse. Gotcha. Um, and now, so, you know, say that uh, unit eight or 12 or whatever, just pick a number was the go-to unit in that, in that zone. Well, people are rushing to get that tag and they're just, gotcha. you know, um, sells out in 10 minutes. Oh gosh. If you can. Yeah. Yeah. Faster than that. Okay. Now, real and, quick. and, and because, you know, and, you know, we can go down all kinds of rabbit holes, but because of that, like if, if you uh, came from Nebraska or Michigan, like our friend drew and hunted this, this one unit forever with your family. And now all of a sudden you can't get that tag. You feel like they have, uh, uh, you know, taken away from the, from the non-resident, but to be clear, <coughs> excuse me, to be clear, I mean, there are more, not, there are more residents in the state. So we, we do have an impact on the hunter numbers without a doubt, but the charter states that their first mission is to manage for residents. So that's how this, I mean, that's, that's the 30,000 foot view of what went sure. on. Sure, sure, sure. But okay. So some of these are getting sold out within 30 minutes are these other areas that let's okay let's just go back to your z z zone or whatever had five units in it one of those units was a really good unit the other four were eh. are the other four units getting maxed out on their non-resident quota or are those still not desired um they are to a you know, uh, I think it's actually so. So tags went on sale December second, and and uh, there's still some tags available in the state. Might not be where you want to hunt. I think there's some tags that are available in the in the Panhandle here, which isn't, you know, like the top, you know, go to place. It, in the it state. gives you an opportunity to go hike with your bow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the odds that you're actually going to actually get into an? Oh, album? damn good. I mean, damn oh, okay. good. I mean, so, like, yeah. I mean, there's there's. So it's not like these are just like you're you're gonna no. you're, you drew a Walmart parking lot. No, no. Um, okay. Yeah, what we got away from was hunting in Walmart parking lot. <laughs> that's okay, that, that's yeah. what we solved. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So, because that's what I I mean, the I didn't pay I never paid a bunch of te, a, a, a bunch of attention to Idaho in the past, but I did hear the buzz, you know, and 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 I do I. Maybe I'll, and we can we can bring, we can roll back to it. But to me, I started to pick up on a on a quote unquote buzz, if you will, a, a public hunting buzz, if you will, about Idaho. Not long after, and and I'm I'm going to name names, and I'm not doing this in a pejorative not doing this because I don't like these people or because I want to just, I want to send ire their way. It's because I think it's relevant and I'm guilty of it. I, I'm going to, I will own up to my part of being guilty of some of this as well, but I didn't start paying attention to Idaho until well, it was very shortly after what I would call the rise of born and raised outdoors and elk 101. When 
And I started my social, not social media. I started my video, Row Hunting Resources, 2010. Then we started kicking really stuff off in 2011. And then it's just gone from there. Now, obviously, I don't, I self-film. But I hunt in places, and it doesn't matter. I, I have a different... I, I do things differently than what born and raised guys do. I do things differently from my elk stuff than what Corey and, and what the, the former guys of elk 101 did. But I have YouTube videos out there and I have been blamed for screwing up uh, some of the areas that I've hunted. And quite honestly, I've had to abandon largely one of my just core areas because people started figuring out where I was hunting. We talked about this the last time in, in your podcast, Rob, what people started figuring out where I was hunting and they just flocked. And, and I, because everybody's hungry to find a good place to hunt. And if someone goes out there and films a hunt and either had a good time, found some elk, the terrain looked fun and interesting and intriguing, blah, blah, blah. And then the idea of this romanticized, oh, I want to go hunt there, blah, blah. For whatever reason, people will either A, want to go where you've got a celebrity has gone, or they just want to short, short circuit the scouting mission and say, well, hell, if he got into elk, I'm going to go there. So I didn't pay attention to Idaho and, until those guys really started doing a hell of a lot of videos. And, and showing their experience in Idaho and the fun that they were having. And they were, you know, depending on the season and depending on what it was, they were getting to elk. Um, but when you, you know, if we're talking about Corey, geez, oh, Pete, the guy lives, I mean, he's grown up there. Of course, he's going to know how to get into elk. It's like me and my core unit. I've, I've, I've spent more than 20 years there. Of course, I know how to get into elk in here. I, I know the place, every nook and cranny. I know when the elk are going to move, how they're going to move. I know where to be on that mountain on September 7th, because every, every year, September 7th, plus or minus a day, there's going to be a, a mature bull walk across this knob. Guaranteed. Does anybody, Joe Schmedley, know that? Nope. But I do because I have the history. So, Corey, obviously, his whole family, the Jacobsons, you know, Rocky, and they, they know what the hell they're doing in there. So of course they're going to be able to perform. And then the born and raised guys, they're good. They're, they're good hunters and, and they've got a good network and they go out there and they bust the ground. Of course they're going to do well, but that doesn't mean that that translates to the average Joe Schmedley, but the average Joe Schmedley is going to look at it and be like, man, that was awesome. I always in the back of my mind, I, I started to see, and this goes to, to what uh, Matt Ranello is talking about social media and, and, you know, the downfall of, of, you know, public land hunting, so to speak, and you know, to put words in his mouth. I didn't pay attention to Idaho until video really started to pick up. And then it seemed like it just went exponential. And in a, in a few short years, it seemed we went from, ooh, Idaho seems cool to the state having to address the non-resident licensed distribution. And here we are today where certain units are sold out instantly. Am I off base on what I, what I observed? Not at all. Um, that's, that's one factor. And I would say it's a huge factor. Um, you know, but I, I can't, you, you can't 
have the conversation without realizing that Idaho has grown. You know, the, the resident point. population has Fair grown. Uh, but I, it's it's become a glamour destination. I don't know what to say. Um, you know, the quality is there uh, or here. Um, well, no, it's, you, it's, you, it's you, an over-the-counter tag. Yeah, yeah, it's over over for, the counter for tag, a non-resident for, sure. for a non-resident yeah. hunter. It's an yeah. over-the-counter tag, which which used to be just six or seven years ago, very easy to get, pretty much anywhere you no. wanted to hunt. Um, but uh, you know, that's when I think you plug in the factor, the social media factor, the videos, the the glamour. That's when I think uh, the go hunt, really, the hunt and fool, yeah. the all all yep. the services. And again, Max. I'm not. I am not throwing stones at these people. I'm just saying now it is so much easier for somebody like me to be like, man, that looked really freaking cool. I want to try to go do that. I can get on two apps or a website and an app, and I can have more information at my fingertips than I would have been able to glean in three to five years of actually busting my butt on the ground. So the barrier to entry into exploring new territory. If I'm a, again, I, I, I've lived in Washington. I've elk hunted in Washington state back when I was in the military a little bit. And then I moved to Colorado and I spent the very, the bulk of my years in Colorado and the bulk of my hunting uh, to this day still is, is centered around Colorado, but I've never hunted Idaho. And it wasn't until I got invited down to uh, Arizona by a friend of mine, uh, Jay Scott, to, you know, to come experience that, that I finally got going on that. And I, I got a chance to go experience New Mexico and, but, you know, so it's over time things pop up, but it, but now for me, but now the barrier to entry for anybody that wants to just launch in is, is extremely easy. And the, so, Okay. Does Washington State have over-the-counter non-resident or not? I have no clue. Okay, I, I don't know about it. Washington, but you always hear about Oregon. Yeah, Oregon is just pounded by hunter pressure. Idaho and Colorado. Those are the three states that always get talked about. And now I, I, I dare say Utah, I think is going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening with Utah with their spike bowl hunts. I think Montana is also really taking a long look at what they got going on. Okay. Hence, hence the reason for this discussion because Idaho, at least, and I, and I say at least uh, understanding I'm cutting my own throat because now I live in Kansas. Okay. I'm a resident of Kansas. That means anywhere I want to elk hunt, it's a non-resident tag. In Colorado, there are no caps on non-resident licenses. It's an over-the-counter unit, and it's just anything goes. So if they sold 100,000 non-resident tags, 100,000 people could go into one game management unit time. Go for it. There is no cap. The state has no cap, no restrictions on an over-the-counter unit license. You can go wherever you want to go with no limitation. The only limitation on the only limitation 
in Colorado is a general limitation, which is it limits all licenses for both resident and non-resident. So where Idaho, what you're talking about, Rob, is you have the non-residents, even though it was an over-the-counter license, a non-resident can just go buy it. You had a cap number of licenses. Okay. So that was a step above what Colorado currently has. But what we've seen in Colorado is that at, and I'm, I will dare say about the same time, again, when you look at the rise of YouTube and well, I mean, even DVDs, I mean, back when I was, uh, you know, I, I got on Primos when I, in 1999 and was with them until I believe, yeah, is it 2014, 2015, 2014, I think is what it was. And so the rise through, you know, obviously back in the late 90s, they had their own DVDs. That's how I loved, I mean, hell, I loved watching all the Primos DVDs back, or their VHS back then. But, you know, obviously the, the Primos videos, then they started rolling into DVDs, but they started rolling into, started hunting Colorado from the truth one, two, three of elk. Okay. They were massive videos. Now, granted, they were hunting on private lands, you know, private ranches, but still that, that glare, that glorification of Colorado and, and what Colorado had, you look at the rise of the DVDs and the DVD sales all the way through the early two thousands. But something absolutely switched about 2010, 2011, 2012, when it became very easy for the Joe Schmedley like me to carry a camera up in the woods and film something and throw it onto this new thing called YouTube and anybody and their brother's uncle could watch it. The intrepid people that wanted to make money threw them on a DVD and sold them. But there you could see this, this, almost exponential rise in demand for elk hunting from, from people either in other States. Well, just put it that way. It doesn't matter if I live in Colorado and hunting in Colorado, suddenly I want to not only hunt in Colorado, I want to go hunt Idaho or suddenly I'm in Colorado, but I also want to go down to, to Arizona. So you can't deny that we, we are a different type of hunter that consumes media in a completely different way. And just like anything, media influences a lot of behavior. And people are looking for places. People are looking for that experience and they're looking for the outlet and, and a place to go elk hunting. People from Kansas, Nebraska, back east, whatever you want to talk. There's a lot of people who are like, man, I've always wanted to do that. Hell, we just need to go. Hell, I had relatives do that this past year. I've got other friends that are back east that that have just, yeah, we're going to do this, okay? Where do they go? Most of the time, the initial entry is in, excuse me, an over-the-counter unit. And so, as I look at, as we witness what's been going on with Idaho, and then demand that there, there is an Idaho. Now, granted, you said there's still tags available, but they're in other places where maybe they're not as glorious. Maybe they're a little harder to get to. Maybe they're just, you know, whatever. 
here we are in Colorado. We've been down this road multiple times now. And it, and it, the writing, in my opinion, the writing's on the wall. For a variety of reasons, in certain areas, elk numbers, let's just say the Upper Eagle River Basin, uh, where I did my elk, re- I worked on those elk research projects, okay? Upper Eagle River elk study in and around that Vale, uh, Leadville. If you look, if you took a, let's just make a triangle from Vale, maybe, um, Leadville and not not so much Leadville because that's that starts getting down into you know, limited draw units. So let's just say Vale to Minturn to Eagle to Beaver Creek to Eagle, you know, that type of you know, that area. The elk population, and we'll just we're not going to comment on why, but the elk population has taken a nosedive in there. So the agency had to because the population was low, hunter demand was high. Agency had decided to go and make those units limited draw because that's what they could do in order to track hunter numbers in there. Obviously, they were going to track whether they dropped licenses or will or what it doesn't matter. They're, they made it limited draw, a grouping of licenses, which means now in Colorado, you could buy an over the counter license, which means any unit that is listed as an over the counter license, you can hunt which means on Monday, I could hunt one unit. On Tuesday, I could hunt another. Thursday, another. Friday, I could just jump all week. I could be out here for two weeks and hunt 10 different game management units. In Colorado, for a limited license, a limited draw unit, no. You draw a limited license. Not only does that mean they're going to limit the number of people that hunt there, but that means that the hunters that hunt there are limited to those units. Sometimes it's are, one unit. Are they quality units? Is that why somebody would put put in for? Is it like both? So there's two different. There's two different. Now here you go. There are two different categories. Philosoph, in my opinion, philosophical categories for a limited draw unit. So the popular ones, like say one, two, 201, 10, up in the Northwest part of the state or unit 40 or unit 61, 76, okay? These are units, they're a singular unit. These are units that have been designated to be managed for their herd management as more of those quality units, trophy management units, where very few hunter numbers in relationship to the number of elk that are in there. So you have a high number of elk, you have a high bull to cow ratio and very few hunters, which means you usually can get in there and find lots of animals, lots of activity, lots of older age class animals until you're going to have a really quality hunt experience. That's the first tier of limited draw in Colorado. The next tier of limited draw is when they are trying to limit the number of hunters in there because the number of animals does not support or perceptively it does not support the hunter pressure that's being put on that area. Okay. And, or the level of hunt. Well, there you go there. And and that could either be a biological one where the, where the harvest rate on the elk in that area is excessive 
And so they have to limit the number of hunters to bring the harvest back down. Or in the case of this recent one, where the quality of hunt experience has gone precipitously down and the harvest has gone down to where they have managed 80 and 81 now to limit the number of hunters because the number of hunters are just so excessive in that. Okay. So you got two different tiers. One is a limitation for a quality hunt experience, as far as allowing the population of elk to have a higher bull to cow ratio and a large number to where you're, 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 you're managing the elk herd for an older age class male and a bull elk versus those units that are managing the hum, hunters, just trying to reduce the number of hunters or cap the number of hunters just to allow the elk population to either recover or to decrease the, the, uh, harvest success on them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And there are a few units uh, years ago in Idaho that they did that, even with the residents where they capped them, um, you know, for, for the quality of experience, right. For, for, yeah. you know, the game at the game was there, but it was just getting so overrun even with residents that they capped those units. I mean, okay. I mean, right. that's, I mean, I, listening to you and, and describing Colorado, um, I think they missed the ball 20 years ago. Go ahead. Keep going. Oh, well, I mean, uh, it sounds like it sounds like it's a free for all. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a large state. You have a great herd and people just keep coming and there's no management. Right. You're just selling tags over the counter and go, yeah, you know, go great, hunt. Yeah, it's a great money manner. Money yeah. Maker. Well, it still can be a money maker. You, you just just manage it. So if, if in 1990, uh, the state of Idaho saw fit to cap uh, or to create, you know, a number of non-residents that they could sustain uh, and, and still be able to utilize that, they already had the tool in the toolbox. When it, when it came to 2019 and they decided they need to redistribute, they already had the tool in the toolbox. You guys sounds like you're starting from scratch. The tool of the toolbox we have is to make the entire unit limited. And so that, may, that means... Now, 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 now. Okay. So here's the, here, now here's a little interesting caveat. Okay. So the, and the reason why I'm talking about 80 and 81, because A, it's the, the most recent one. Uh, but there's a couple parts. One, not too many years ago, because of the elk population and the demand for, you know, the, the hunting, hunting pressure in, so 80 and 81 are like dead center of Colorado right on the Southern border. Okay. So South central dead center in the state, right on the Southern border, just to the West of that in the Southwest part of the state, the elk numbers were kind of down a little bit and the pressure was high hunter pressure was high. And so several units over there went limited draw. My understanding is when the licenses went limited draw in some other adjacent areas. Everybody piled in over onto 80 and 81. It makes sense. The same thing I watched when they, when the division of wildlife, when the Colorado parks and wildlife made the upper Eagle Valley, those assemblages of units around the Vale, Minturn, Eagle area, limited draw. 
same thing. A lot of people, I used to hunt over there. There used to be over the counter. And I, that was one of my, my high country camp was over there. My over the counter, I, there was some over the, you know, not over the counter. Sorry. There was over the counter unit, but my high country camp was over there. And my, and I had some other areas that I was over there. I would always stop in and, and take a peek over there. Well, not anymore. So I'm out. So you have a very select group of people now that, that want to put in for those units. And a lot of them are largely local because it's just out the back door. Whereas a lot of people that were hunting, you know, in other parts of the state as well. Well, now we just don't over, we don't hunt over there and we're not going to put in for that unit. So it's definitely, it's definitely changed the makeup of the resident hunter. Okay. But from the non-resident hunter, absolutely. Because now you're before when it was over the counter as a non-resident, I could go poke over there. If I got into L great. If I didn't bail, I'm not going to burn all my, my week to 10 days in a, in an area that has no elk screw that I'm out. Well now, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put in for that unit because I don't, I, I don't want to risk my entire season on an area where eh, are the elk numbers really? I don't know about, but well, what we find out with unit 80 and 81, and this is going to be an interesting thing with, with how this all shakes out with these Colorado units. Based on the testimony yesterday, they were saying that, you know, Colorado elk number, elk hunter numbers, I think uh, several years ago, I'm just paraphrasing, several years ago, there was like 51,000, let's just say there's 51,000 resident bow hunters, whereas today there's like 49,000 resident bow hunters. So we've lost a few resident bow hunters. However, the non-resident bow hunters have just kept going up to where several years ago there was 48 or 49,000 non-resident hunters. Now they're, they're, they're non-resident hunters are sitting at 51,000. So what they were saying is, is the state so is actually, are you, are you saying there's more non-resident bow hunters than correct? Woo. Correct. Holy smokes. Okay. So that's the point is Colorado does not have a cap on non-resident hunting in over the counter units. The only place that Colorado has a cap, on non-resident hunters is in the limited draw units because by state, I don't know if it's by statute or by reg, but there is, let's just arbitrate for everybody. It's, it's a, this one always gets people. So I'm just going to use round pear shaped tones and numbers. Okay. So let's just say 80, 20, roughly speaking in limited draw units, it's not the exact number, but let's just say for for everybody grasp the concept, 80-20. 80% go to resident, 20% go to non-resident-ish, okay? So it, there's, there's nuance to it. Just bear with me. Go general, all right? So now, so 80 and 81 based on the testimony. And now, and now I'm getting my, some of my numbers conflated, but it was like 61 maybe it was like 68% of the hunters, archery hunters in these two units were non-resident hunters. So instantaneously, these two units are going to go this year from 68% of the people that are in that unit hunting, in those units hunting are non-residents. Immediately, we're going to drop 48% of that. It, now it's 
So the residents are going to come away with this marvelously because there's a cap on non-resident hunters. But the flip side is this. So they are actually reducing tags in the state, right? Ah, that's a good question. And and we're going to find out what usually in the past that as far as I understand it has happened when a unit goes limited, they look at how many people were hunting it and they're like, all right, let's say there was, let's say there were, there were a thousand people hunting these units or whatever. How about we just cap it at 900 this year? Next year, we may make it 850. Year after that, make it 800. And they slowly tweak the numbers to where it just, it's not, if they wanted to bring it down by half, you, you, you slash the, the licenses by half and that hurts. I mean, that, that instantly is just a shock to where some people are talking about, well, it's probably going to go, they're going to look at the number of people that were hunting those units, and then they're going to step them back. Well, the question is, is how are they going to step them back? Are they just going to say, oh, well, there was a thousand people that were hunting these units. So let's just make it 900 tags. Well, if it's nine, if it was a thousand people that were hunting that, that's 680 of them were non-resident. If my math is right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go, so that's only 400 and, you know, what, 320? Am I right? So you make it 900 tags. And in the past, let's say 300 residents were hunting it. How many tags are, are left over? But it's capped at non-residents, right? So are we going to see, this is what is going to be interesting to see how the state does it for 80 and 81 are we automatically going to go to some weird tag? I don't know. This is completely a thought experiment right now. Cause I, I don't know how they're going to do it and, and what's good. And it's only a weird thing because the vast, the percentage of the non-resident hunters is so wildly screwball here. If it was 50, 50. Yeah. Okay. No big deal. So I don't know how it's going to shake so, out. So you're saying that you're wondering if more residents will go to that unit and, and keep those numbers high yeah. uh, as they suppress the, the, the non-residents. Correct. I mean, are we going to so, see an influx of, of resident hunters because they're like, good, we don't have as many non-residents. Well, you know, it, it's my experience that it would take a couple of years probably just to see a change. I mean, cause guys aren't just going to, jump and say, well, I'm going to go hunt over here because it reduced all the tags in my experience. Yeah. But, but I always look at, I always look at hunter numbers here in Idaho, especially when zone to zone is like a crab biomass. Do you guys have preference points? No, no. And I'm glad we don't. (laughs) And I'll tell you, throw that caveat in there. No, no. I'll tell you what I lobbied hard. There was a lot of us that lobbied hard and were pissed off for a lot of years at the department for not implementing a uh, preference point. But today, I am glad they had wisdom and, and did not implement it because it looks like a train wreck okay, well, here all you across go. the West. Okay, so here you go. Let's, let's just go through this little thought experiment. Again, I, I'm not speaking from any authority here whatsoever. I'm just, as soon as they made this limited draw, I just, my mind started going in all the secondary or unexpected, un, unintended consequences. So let's just screw the 68. Let's just say it's 60% non-residents were hunting there. 
40% were residents hunting there in the archery season. Now they make it limited draw. By statute or regulation, it's capped at 20% of the hunters can be non-resident. Okay. So you just took 40, you just took 400. If they're, if let's just say arbitrarily, they're going to give out a thousand tag. You just took 400 non-residents out of the picture. We have preference points in this state. Limited draw. You can, you, you, that's where you use your limited, your, your prep, excuse me, your preference points. Every year you apply for a preference point or every year that you do not draw your first choice for a limited license, you gain a preference point. And so some of these units, like say Northwest Colorado, one, two, 201, 10, those, I mean, you're in the 20s now. 20 years of get the that bull right there. You're looking at him right there. That bull right there was in unit 12. Or excuse me, sorry, sorry. Unit unit one in 2009 took 12 preference points. Okay. In unit one, they gave up two archery tags. That's it for the entire unit. And then there's four muzzleloader tags. I I hunted the entire unit, I never saw the other bow hunter in the entire. I was there for 10 days killed my bull early, but, um, I never saw the other guy. I, I, I never ran across him. So that took 12 press preference points back in 2009. Now, most of the premium units take 20 preference so that's, points. That's 20 years, 20 years. Yeah, that, that's, that's a nail in the coffin. Okay. So given that now unit 80 and 81 are limited draw. Okay, which means you, in order to draw that tag, you if you have zero points, you have no preference points, you can put in for it and you can randomly draw it. You're, that's fine. But if you have one point, well, you've got more of a chance. If you have two points, much better of a chance. Three, four, five, six, seven points, guaranteed. You're, see where I'm going? If we just took, again, arbitrary numbers, 1,000 hunters were in there last year, 600 of them were non-residents. Now, only 200 can be non-residents. That frees up 400 tags over what was there last year from the residents. So are we going to have a situation where just the regular guys, the regular normal resident hunters are going to continue to go back there? And it is what it is. And there's some leftover licenses and, and they don't all sell out. Let me ask you this. What is the goal in their reduction in tags? For that unit, reduce the, right now. The the number one was hunter crowding. Okay, so if you have, if you fill that void with residents because the resident the residents say, oh, you know, you know then you're right back. You're right you started. You're right back to square one. However, but you can again not to make it a, a, an overall shock. You can slowly wean that back. You know what I mean? You say okay, and, and maybe that's what they do is they say okay. Last year, there was a thousand. That was a little egregious. Let's make it 800 this year. And let's take 200 people right off the map. And then out of that 800, 20% is non-resident. So that's 160, right? So 640 is open for residents. But if last year there was only say 400 residents hunting it, 
are we going to see a gap in the number of licenses that are, you know, that we don't sell out? Maybe there's a bunch of leftover licenses that never get used up. Or do we end up seeing a bunch of people go, holy hell, now we don't have 68% of the Texans, New Mexico, and everybody other, you know, you know, Kansas idiots and everybody else coming here. Well, you know what? I'll burn my one or two or three points. And I'll go there because I want crack at the, the first go of, of limited hunter pressure to where I'll have a better shot. I'll definitely get a tag. And I might have a really cool hunt because there won't be as many people in there, which automatically takes that unit from it used to be free over the counter, just go to now it's it takes you one, two, three, four years of preference points just to get in the door. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening. I'll, I'll tell you a, a, an interesting dynamic that I, I believe is occurring in Idaho with their redistribution of tags is, you know, it, it, it'll sell out, you know, say a, a very desirable, desirable unit will sell out in, you know, 20 minutes. Well, it's no longer the, um, hundred people that used to come there that know the country. I mean, you will see some of this. So, so, so from, you know, say Wisconsin, there's a group from Wisconsin that comes year after year after year, they start to know the country. They learn the movements. They become more effective. Now, all of a sudden you get a, just any Tom, Dick or Harry can, can draw the tag. It's a great tag, but they know far less about the country. Correct. And that's something and that, and that, and that impacts hunter success Correct. in a good way. In a, in a good way, um, you know, if, if that's how, the goal. How, how, how in a hunter success. Oh, 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 okay. So if and, that's and, the goal. Yeah. If you, if you want to reduce hunter harvest, yes. Yeah. Because you're going to have yeah. a lot more naive people on the landscape that are not going to be maybe as efficient as the 20-year veterans exactly. in there. Okay. Yeah, exactly. that, I, I absolutely, I agree with that. Um, to, yeah. Yeah. Largely. It, obviously, some years are better than others, but um So it's going to be very interesting to see what ends up happening with that, those units this year from a preference point standpoint on, do we have people with preference? Anybody's got, you know, five, six, seven preference points. I doubt they're going to, maybe they will. You know, you got some people that, damn it, this is our elk camp. This is where we go. Because one of the things with this unit is it's got a very, very high level of vehicle access. There's a, a it's it's easily accessed uh, by truck and camper. Uh, m- uh, several, many portions, uh, m- many portions of the unit are based on the Forest Service travel management plan. It's accessible by ATV, UTV. You know, so there it's such easy access. This is why this place gets hammered so badly because everybody rolls in with their big campers, their toy haulers. Um, and they just, I mean, massive camp for two weeks and they just on their ATVs and UTVs and just burn around and, and cover country. So it's a very leisurely style can, can be a very leisurely style hunt. Now there's places that you can get, you can get the hell back there and, and go back in, but it has a lot of ATV and, and uh, off tra- off highway vehicle use and, and activity. So it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening because, oh, sorry. You know, the, there are camps that, like you said, 
these guys have been going there for 20 years. And all of a sudden, now you just made it limited draw. Well, screw you. I'm at least going to do one more hunt with my butt. We're, we're going to go back in there and we're going to spend at least one more year where I know I can hunt because if I can't hunt there now, except for every other year, or every three years or whatever, well, God damn it, I'm going to do it this year. They may burn five points just so their entire, you know, it, maybe, maybe their kid has one point and grandpa has seven points. Well, screw it. We're all going in. And so a bunch of people burn a whole bunch of preference points. Well, that's the thing though. In Colorado, it's limited for everyone. So yes, the non-residents, it's going to cap for non-residents, but the same thing goes with residents. You might have some people that have hunted there for years as residents. They're still going to be like, God, get enough. I'm at least going to have one more season. So I'll burn my four points or I'll burn my five points. Well, what does that mean? All of a sudden, we set an arbitrarily, maybe, maybe an arbitrarily high entrance point. If depending on how the agency structures the number of licenses they're going to get out, give out, if they really restrict the number of hunters that are going in there, we may see in the very first year that these units take a minimum of one or two points to draw that tag, which means now that the, the Joe Schmedley that hunted over the counter units for his entire life, his or her entire life, never accumulated preference points because they didn't give a crap. Guess what? You're out of the picture, at least for hunting there. You can go to another adjacent unit, but guess what? The non-residents, it's not like they're, the, the, again, it was 600 resident or non-resident hunters that were in there. Now 400 of them aren't going to be able to hunt. Are, are they just going to not come to Colorado next year? No, they may not. They they may not. I mean, that was a big, that was a, um, that was a big, uh, source of contention, uh, with Idaho. Like, you know, if, 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 uh, John has, has hunted unit 15 forever and, and all of a sudden they cap it and he can't get that tag. I mean, there's a, there's a large percentage of people that are just going to be pissed and say, well, I'm not going, I'm, I'm not willing to figure out a new spot. I'm not going, you know? Uh, Idaho or, or Colorado, whatever those, did, those guys did suck, that but, happen in Idaho or well, hypothetically? Well, we, did? Um, I can see your, I can see your point. I will concede your point. I'm just curious at, at the reality of the statistics of what transpired. Well, I, I don't think there's enough tags in the state to really, um, see that occur, uh, to suss it out. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think there's a high enough amount of tags because we still sell out. Uh, for the most yeah, part, yeah, yeah. you know, you still sell out, but you know, that was a big concern. Well, if, if I, let's, let's just say, I will concede that you might have some of those people do that. Absolutely. I will argue that we will see the similar trend that we have seen with every other over the counter unit that has gone to limited draw. It's like, all of the over-the-counter units that are nearby just get raped and pillaged. That could be. Okay. Everybody bails, and especially if an adjacent over-the-counter unit has a similar forest service travel management plan that allows them to continue to have the same type of camp that they had before, 
they just got to find a new area. They'll just go pioneer into the next available over-the-counter unit. And a lot of them, because, for instance, 80 and 81, everybody joked about the fact that, you know, uh, uh, Frank Peralta from uh, Kafaru had joked on, on my post. He said, you know, that area has just basically been annexed by Texas during September. <laughs> and it's true because it's the largest at that. It, it was one of the largest chunks of public land that has stupidly easy access in the entire area that was close to Texas. I mean, it's like one of the first places you can jump to. You just come out of the panhandle of Texas, cut across the corner of New Mexico and just bam into Colorado. And there you go. Park the truck done. Well, I look at the over the, and, and I hate to say this for the guys and gals that hunt there, but I'm looking now at, if you just pick up, you know, 80 and 81 gargantuan chunk of public land, you go East of there, big chunk of private. And then there, this is where you start running into the Calabra ranch, the Chinchera ranch, Hill ranch. All You got this massive chunk of ground that is all of these big old Spanish land grant ranches, you know, 50,000 to a hundred thousand plus acre ranches. Um, that that's where all the celebrities hunt Cameron Haynes and Primos guys and all sorts of other people hunt, you know, this Snyder. Chunk. He's a celebrity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Damn Snyder hunting Hill ranch. Um, Let's start that rumor. Yeah, he does. I see him down there every year. I'm the cook down there. I don't do anything. I can't afford those hunts like rich people like Snyder. Um, yeah. So you got this big chunk of ground where, okay, that's not accessible, but you go right up over the hill to the east. Another big chunk of public ground. I have a feeling. I, I'm not trying to call this, but I'm just telling you all of your Trinidad West people, man, brace yourselves. Because I have a feeling it's just going to get stupid because that's the, one of the next available areas of public ground. Same thing if you start now with a sand grace, that's tough. That That's brutal, brutal, steep country that you, you can't park an ATV or a camper with your ATV in there. But it, it's just going to be interesting because a lot of the people that are going to be displaced from this change are the type of people that, I mean, these are diehard elk people that, that want to, they want to come out every year and they want to camp, but they're going to come with their camper. They're going to come with their wall tent. They're going to come where they have good vehicle access. I'm just telling everybody right now, if you hunt in an over-the-counter unit around 80 and 81, you better get Johnny on the spot of giving your forest service campground reservation in now. <laughs> Because you might find yourself uh, with no place to camp. Because I have a feeling it's just, everybody's just going to push out to the periphery, and it's just going to get stupid. Which comes to okay, the the whole premise behind this discussion. It's only a matter of time. Okay, bow hunting is okay. Number one, bow hunting is only increasing. It's the one aspect of hunting that seems to be increasing. And social media is not slowing down. YouTube videos and, and video content online 
that that glorifies all this. A, A, glorifies it is not slowing down. Number two, makes it easier for people to know I'm guilty. I've got row hunting resources. I teach people how to efficiently go into the woods, find elk and kill them. Okay. I'm guilty of it. I'm helping fuel the fire. Go hunt. Onyx. Basement. All these, uh, whoever. Everything is just increasing. We have a mat. You got the meat eater crews. You've got social media folks like, you know, uh, deer meat for dinner and just some of these you know, maybe seem obscure to some people, but they've got massive following. So even if you don't follow them, hundreds of thousands of other people do to where it's teaching people how to go out and hunt, how to get your own meat, how to be, uh, you know, take, you know, procure your own food. So the locavore movement is increasing. The people that want to experience hunting is increasing. Bow hunting from a standpoint, you know, just from a, a the, our sport is increasing. Our ability, our equipment that makes us more efficient on the landscape is getting better. The barrier to entry to everything is, is, is lower. I don't see this trend reversing itself on its own. I see, I see you shaking your head. No, oh, I think I'm agreeing with you. Uh, exactly. No, I, I should have clarified. Yes, you're, you're agreed. So here we have Southwest units of Colorado. They, because of game management concerns, they had to make several limited draw. What happened right on the heels of that? Here come the next, next two units next door. Demand goes up to the point where we've got to make these limited draw. Well, guess what? The next units, that are going to be the target of all the people that want to hunt down there are going to go to the next over-the-counter units. Well, guess what? Give it a couple of years, and we're probably going to be in the same spot or same boat with those units that we are with 80 and 81. Now let's just can throw I, in. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, can I muddy the waters? Absolutely, go for it. So as this all is all occurring, you're going to have an apex predator. That's that where I was just never, going. never dealt with. That's where I was and just going to go. Elk, and at the elk. I mean, bigger than what we have never dealt with, the elk have never dealt with them. I mean, I I, I will tell it's you. It's going to be a free-for-all. I will tell you that the elk did not know how to react when those wolves came out of the landscape. Yeah, and that's no. what really called it, caused the devastation. Yep. Now, and and so it, I'm glad you segued because that's where I was going. So we're talking about these limited draw units in the southern part of the state getting hammered with people some of the units had declines in the elk population for variety of reasons. These ones have are going limited draw because of hunter pressure. Well, the wolf issue—that's at the polar opposite. That's at the northern tier of the. That's the northern half of the state. And so we already know we have uh, wolves up there now. And based on the ballot initiative and the new directive that the agency has to reintroduce or encourage wolf, you know, packs to proliferate on the landscape, that's going to be in the northern part of the state. That is going to be in the White River elk herd. Now, when I was uh, working the Upper Eagle River elk study, we were on the south end of the White River herd. Well, the south end of the White River herd was it's it might be struggling 
But the North End, Steamboat, Walden, all that, all that chunk of ground in North Central Colorado, that's the Craig Meeker, okay? All that area, that's all, that's all the White River herd. That's where the wolves are going to end up being, guaranteed. Well, that's where the wolves are already showing up. So here we've got on the south end of the state, hunter pressure causing units to go limited draw. Very soon, we're going to start seeing the north end of the state probably having similar situations simply because of the wolf issue. Unless somehow, miraculously, Colorado can figure out how to have an aggressive management plan for the wolves to where we are only going to manage for like two or three packs. And, you know, that, no, I don't see that happening. Not with the act. Not a chance. Not no a way. Chance. No way. So like you said, number one, it's in Colorado. It's the largest elk herd in the state. One, one of the largest elk herds in the state. Number one. Number two, we know darn well that the elk have not, they've had a limited experience with a lone wolf here or there, but they haven't dealt with a pack, especially the size of the wolves that if we have to bring wolves in fresh vert, you know, new wolves in, they're not used to that apex predator. So two things are going to happen. One, the elk are going to react, but more importantly, those wolves are going to do well. And they're going to do exactly what you guys saw. They just exploded. The number of wolves on the landscape just blink, 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 blink. Go ahead. Let me, let me throw this out there. Um, one of the effects we saw, was not only the uh, the kills, but the stress it put on the pregnant cows. Correct. You'll be you'll see a lot lower um, uh, calving rate, G even if the cows survive. You'll see a lot lower calving rate. Just want to throw that out there. And and let me let me just piggyback on that because you may or may not remember that the entire premise of the Upper Eagle River Elk Study that I worked on, phase one, was to determine if you disturb cow elk during the calving season, does that negatively impact calving success or uh, recruitment success? Does the cow still rear that calf? Does she still have a calf? Does she still successfully raise that calf? And does that calf survive into the next fall and into the next year and, and reproduce? Or does it negatively uh, impact the, the, the calving rate? We drove, based on our treatment effect, there was, I, I, was there a, a, I don't know, I, I don't remember how many guys there were. And it was, well, we had a, we, had a, we did have a female. Um, in the beginning, it was just a handful of us guys. We drove the treatment area to like, I, I, we, we just, we tanked that population to where I think arbitrarily just by I, disturbing them. Yep. In May and June, we, we, all the cows, the cows were radio collared and ear, ear tacked. Okay. So we had a, a control and treatment, same elk herd, but generally utilized like not generally like almost a hundred percent utilized two different regions on the map. They had very little crossover. So population, so the, the treatment area where we, where we collared elk and went in and disturbed them was Vale, Minturn, Eagle, Beaver Creek area. And then where we collared and 
ear tagged elk and did nothing to them was over on the Vale mountainside, Leadville, Ski Cooper, uh, Copper Mountain, that area. Okay. So same elk herd, same environmental conditions, same weather patterns, everything equal, except on one side of the highway and highway 24 and I-70, one side of the highway, we, we disturbed the piss out of them in May and June. And on the other side of the highway, we didn't touch them. And then, so for one, 30 days during the treatment, we would go in with telemetry gear every day. And we, we would get a radio. We like, bam, she's over there. Let's just go over and see if we can't make contact with her. Can we jump her out of her bed? Can we disturb them? You know, can they smell us and they run away? Now, obviously it's a, it's a research project. Okay. So our goal was to get a treatment effect. I will or will not confirm how many bets we had on who could get a fistful of hair from the cow elk that we were tracking because there was multiple times that we would sneak in on them like a you know, couple of lions and she's bedded five feet in front of me on the other side of a snowdrift. She has no idea that I'm there. Do I jump on her back and grab a fistful of hair and eat a hoof in my face or do I just... I still, I still carry that scar on me right there where Chrissy decided I'm close enough to these cows that are down this steep hill right now. Anybody that's been in a lodgepole pine forest and knows all the deadfalls and everything else, here I am at about a 45 degree or 45% slope. Here these cows are blowing me and they are close enough to where I'm like, man, they have no idea I'm here. I think. Because again, this is how many times you, from an elk hunting standpoint, do we talk about if you spook an animal, draw your bow? Because a lot of times they're going to trot a couple, you know, they're going to bound a couple uh, steps and then they're going to turn and look back because they didn't know what, you know, they didn't know what they're looking at. And when they stop, turn and look back, if, if the angle's good, you have a shot opportunity. How, how, how often do we talk about that? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, same goes when you spook them when you're trying to scare them because they didn't know what the heck was going on. So I calculated that and we, we would calculate that. We're like, all right, if I get a run and start, they're going to go, Oh crap. I'm going to be about five, 10 steps into my, my run, my sprint. They're going to turn and they're going to bolt, but they're only going to go about, I don't know, five, 10 steps. And then they're going to stop, turn around, try to figure out what the heck happened. Well, about that time I'm cranking and I'm going to be right on them. And so they're going to stop, pause, turn, and I'm going to be like, ha ha, fistful of hair. Yeah, well, I got going and I came close. Now, this is a couple times. I came close, but then the problem is what, what, what's, what's on the other end? It's, it's like taking a shot. You know, you, you, you shoot your bullet, you shoot your arrow, and it doesn't hit the target. Well, that doesn't mean your arrow stops. Doesn't mean your bullet stops. It's still going. <laughs> What's on the other side of that? I started going Mach 30 down this hill. They did it. They, they played the script, man. They bolt. She turns. Boom, boom, boom down the hill. And at this point now, again, it's a steep freaking slope. And I'm just out of the military. I'm in the you, best you, shape, best shape yeah, of my you, life. You, you're making Usain Bolt look slow. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> am freaking hauling. And then about right about the time she turns, looks back, and I think to myself, oh, she's just a little too far. 
I realize I can barely keep my feet coordinated underneath me. She hucks off to the right and I look in front of me and here is this dead pine tree, just nothing, just laying on its side, just nothing but punji sticks. All the limbs oh, yeah. are sticking. And I'm like, oh shit. And there, I mean, I'm, it's uncontrollable at this point. There's no, I'm not stopping. So all I could do is just see a gap. And I'm like, I've all I've got hope I'm in the middle of nowhere. Even if I've got a radio, but even if I just, if I hit this thing going Mach 30 and skewer my liver, I'm done. No one's going to find me up here. Not in time. So I, I, my only hope was I'm like, all right, I'm just going to shoot the gap. And I made it. Almost. Almost. <laughs> almost. I, I still carry the well, three and a half, maybe four inch. Yeah, about almost four inch scar on my forearm where. That went straight through the, it went through everything. God, just, I mean, I laid my arm open on that thing, but did it stop me? No, I kept doing it. So all month long. So that's what we did for three years on that phase one. And then after we got done disturbing, now, again, we were purposefully trying to be as egregious as possible because we wanted to see if there's an effect, let's make this like obvious. We don't want this like, is it an effect? I don't know. Maybe, you know, it seems like it is, but the confidence intervals a little overlap and sloppy and we really can't tell. We wanted to make it as clear as possible. So that's what we did for three years. And then later on that summer, we'd go back and this is where I'd hike up on the mountain with the rest of the guys. And I'd take one base and they'd take another or whatever. And we'd sit with spotting scope and we would go up and observe, okay, who has cows and who, or excuse me, who has calves and who doesn't. And that's where I cut my teeth on elk behavior watching cows interact with other cows and interact with their calves and the vocalizations and the communication between them. We watch them come out of their, their calving areas to their summer range and then spend the bulk of the last part of the summer on their summer range and watch them interact. Well, on the treatment area where we disturb the ever living bejeebas out of them, I don't remember what the actual number was, but it was like 80% of the cows had no calf. Whereas no on kidding. the, on the other side where we'd never touched them, same environment, same habitat, same environmental conditions, same predatory predation, everything else, same 80 plus percent of the cows had cats. So we were clearly able to demonstrate that we had a, a, a major treatment effect. Disturbance during that calving season, stress on the cows absolutely has a, has a devastating impact on the success rate of those cows to successfully, because the issue is, is a cow has to bond with that calf after it's born for a certain number of hours. It, number one, it has to bond with that calf within a certain very short time frame, And then it needs to be able to bond with that calf for several hours after the calf is born in order for that maternal instinct to really lock in and for those cows to say, this is my calf and I'm going to protect it. If you disturb that calf, that cow, before she can bond with that calf, she's out. She'll just flat leave it. Gone. Bye-bye. Self-preservation. I'm going to leave. And I don't even remember what the hell I was doing over there. And they just don't go back and they, they just never go back and get their calf. So, what you were saying now, and for the people who are like, well, that kind of set 
Okay, well, phase two of the elk study, the next master student that came in to look at it, we didn't have the money. They didn't have the money to, because what we ideally, what we would have done is, is flipped the control and the treatment area to where the next phase, we went over and did the same thing on the, the undisturbed population. And we would have let the disturbed population just be completely free and, and clear and, and no disturbance and see if the other side bounced back. And if the new area of treatment did the exact same thing. Well, that was going to take a lot more money than what we had, what the researchers had. So all we did was remove the disturbance. Now, we still have a bunch of cows that have radio collars on them. They had the money to go back in and, and supplement the, the cows that we had lost, you know, the radio collars that had, you know, shut off or whatever, bumped back up the sample size. And we, we did, just did not do any treatment. We just went in and did the observations. The very next year after the treatment was removed, bam, right back up to uh, statistically the same level of, of cow-calf uh, interactions. So it clearly you know, proved that, we, that disturbance absolutely drove recruitment into the dirt. Well, take, take it one step further. It sounds to me like you're, you're just, just prior to, you guys are disturbing prior to calving. Is that correct? Prior and during. Yeah. See, mid May um, to mid June, most calves were it, born that last ha- last part of May, first little bit of June. And when you see them, and I and I did in two thousand and ten, two thousand ten or two thousand eleven, might have been eleven. Um, you know, witnessing uh, northern Idaho doesn't get large herds. Like we don't get. You know, if you saw five or six or ten elk in a bunch that's big it's just the terrain i don't know the, Habitat, the, the yeah. geography yeah geography um they don't get big herds when i saw between 50 and 70 somewhere in there cat cows standing shoulder to shoulder uh one day in february uh january Feb- <clears throat> february on a windblown knob because there was wolves circling them. So what you're talking about is, is disturbing them in a speci- very specific uh, uh, portion of their gestation period, uh, but they're going to deal with it year round. Correct. I mean, uh, that that uh, recruitment is way lower than what you saw. Correct. Because you're going to have a, a situation, especially go ahead and compound it with a, a with a drought year, a drought year that decreases forest forage availability coupled with a harsh winter. So your yeah. body fat composition, again, I talk about all the time, 9% body fat for the cows to be able to, you know, roughly 9% body fat for a cow to be able to get pregnant. You know, if she starts, let's say she gets pregnant, but then that winter she was at nine, like nine and a half. And so she just had enough to get her into that, that zone of getting pregnant. But all of a sudden there's very little forage. The, the winter is hard and her body starts or her body condition starts to deteriorate she can abort that calf just on that alone. But you add to it the, the stress of wolves constantly, but you're going to burn energy faster. So absolutely. So there's no question that now, again, I doubt that the agency is going to say, okay, well, we were given a mandate to reintroduce wolves. So we're bringing in a hundred wolves in five different packs or, or a hundred wolves in, in 20 different packs. And we're going to turn them loose. 
No, there ain't no way in hell the agency is going to do that. My guess is they're going to foster the, the, the animals we have here. And I, my guess is they'll probably bring one pack. Well, in, that, I think know? that'll make a difference. I mean, if, if oh yeah, wolves, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. locally, but, yeah, I mean, but if over the time. Are, yes. If the wolves are allowed to, um, you know, just reproduce and grow on their own, you're going to see a far less impact than if they're dumping, um, you know, breeding pairs like they did in Idaho, you know, dumping breeding pairs and it just explodes. I mean, yeah, you gradually get your, your, your game herds, uh, able to deal with them. That, and, uh, and that's, I, I am, con- I will say this. I have my criticisms with the agency. However, and, and I just saw this yesterday on the commission meeting. Um, the head guys of the agency now, the, the, the head biologists and the big game coordinator and the terrestrial biologists, they're all, they're all friends. They're all guys that I went to college with. These are, these are, these are square people. These are yeah. squared away. Guys. These guys are, these guys are squared away. So I cannot, unless it gets, unless it gets meddled with by the governor's office and the wildlife commission or legislatively, I can't see them doing that. My guess is, is they'll, they'll, they will meet the letter of the law, but they will baby step into this because they want to do it right. Obviously you've got the lessons learned from, and this, I guess this is a tangent. I wasn't even expecting to go on, but I think it's a good one for those people that are scared to death about wolves coming into Colorado. I don't think we're going to end up seeing what happened in Wyoming and Idaho. I'm optimistic that we won't now granted a a legislative uh, mandate that, that changes things or a judge injunction, you know, some judicial injunction that can always throw a monkey wrench into it. But I have, a, I have confidence in my colleagues, um, the, the folks that are, that are running things there now, the biologists anyway, uh, you've got enough lessons from Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, Washington, hell, you could even pull from Minnesota and Wisconsin. There's enough there, there's enough collective experience of what not to do that I think what uh, Colorado is in a little bit better position than maybe you guys were. I, you know, a lot of we can always do, we could have a discussion of whether we want it or not. But regardless, we, we've got it coming. I think we're going to be in a better position. Now, the issue is, is how the state works with the feds and how the activists play with the courts on whether or not Colorado can maintain effective, constructive control of the management of those animals or whether it gets just, well, we can't do anything now for the next 15 years because we're tied up in court and they just explode because they're going to, if, if the packs are allowed to reproduce and expand uncontrollably, Given the area in which I think this will happen, it could, it could go crazy very quickly. No, I'll go on record and I will stand by it. It's like, you can, you cannot manage uh, a wolf um, population. Uh, It's impossible. Uh, In today's society, you cannot. Now, Idaho is in a unique position that, you know, we created um, uh, a sportsman's group that, 
does control it. I mean, we, we, uh, we pay trappers and hunters to harvest wolves and that's far and above what any state agency is capable of doing. And that's the only way that we've been able to get on top of this. Well, that's, a le- that, that's a good lesson learned. Okay. Maybe yep. we'll have a convert as this thing rolls in the future. Maybe that's a good conversation to have is how you, how does Colorado put something like that together? So it's ready to go as an asset, not a, a, not as a, a combative component no, of the landscape. No. But how do we, how do we, how does Colorado put together a viable, constructive, uh, conscientious, ethical asset? The, the way you have to sell it. And, and again, trapping is a, is paramount. I don't know if what your trapping situation is down there, but it's paramount. <laughs> um, do, do you have trapping <laughs> Colorado? What do you mean? Wait, so, so what you mean? Uh, the fact that we've had several, yeah, dude, the ballot initiative stuff and the, and the, I mean, here we are Colorado. It just, there's a new, uh, legislative, uh, it's going through Colorado assembly. Now that, uh, the humane society and the predator folks want to shut down all Bobcat links and mountain lion hunting in the state. Well, the, the, the irony is, you know how they get the wolves oh, out yeah. of Canada in a leg hole trap. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, to bring them down here. <laughs> don't that that's irrelevant. That's it. That's irrelevant. <laughs> but, but my 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 point is, um, uh, without incentive for sportsmen to get out there and get after wolves, you 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 the elk hunter who sees a wolf and shoots it, uh, that's great, but that's not management. Yeah, it's not. You need it's to not, be. Yeah. Same thing, same, same thing without here with coyote hunters. People are like, oh, well, I'm going to deer hunt. If I see a coyote, I'll shoot it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, but, but the key is it's management. You, yeah. you, it, as a group, you can't, you can't be, um, you know, kill them all, smoke a pack a day, whatever. It's got to be about management and it's got to be about suppressing uh, the predator numbers to allow a balance within your prey base. Yeah. Keep, keep them, keeping them at a, a sustainable level that's been dictated by the biologists and the habitat folks out there. But yeah, I mean, it, Colorado is going to be tough, man. It's you thought, you thought it was difficult in Idaho because of the, you know, he had the HSUS guys and the federal courts. We've got not only the populace, very liberal legislature, governor, very liberal. And we already have a history of ballot initiatives running wildlife management. That's why we have wolves coming into Colorado. Now we have a legislative thing about shutting down, which I thought was interesting in the fact that they they said, you know, shut down bobcat, lynx, and mountain lion hunting. Like no one's hunting. No one's going out there after lynx. I was going to ask you, like, no, you guys a season on lynx? It, I, the only reason, no. The only reason why I think they threw that in there is because it's a federally endangered species. And it's going to grab the attention of the general uneducated public they'd be like what the hell why are people out there killing this endangered species this bullshit we need to shut this stuff down right now i we can have this discussion later i want to learn more about the the legislative legislation but um i have a feeling i know what they're doing they're they're setting it up it's very similar to what's going on i mean you you see what's going on in california why uh uh arizona and what is the other one in washington well here is colorado yeah, they already came off the heels of a very successful ballot initiative. Uh, they already 
presented yesterday at the, the wildlife commission wanting to shut down it. Now it, this is, they're setting it up and I have a feeling there's, there's some, there's some angling going on. Well, we'll table that for now. Cause I'll, I want to learn more about it, but we'll talk more about that one here in a little bit, but regardless trapping wolves in Colorado. Yeah. Right. Unless, unless it, that's going to be a massive, massive, massive fight. And I, if, if we, if the agency, not the sportsman, if the agency retains its ability to utilize that method, it will shock the shit out of me, but let's hope they do. But anyway, we got, we got off on a tie. We got off on a tangent on wolf management. However, the relevant point, Hunter pressure in over-the-counter units is just going up. In Southern Colorado, we already, we've seen now that hunter pressure has taken two more units off the table. And again, I'm not arguing whether it should or should not have happened. That's not the point. The point is here we are now having two new limited draw units. It's limited for everybody because Colorado does not have what Idaho has where residents can do whatever they want, but non-residents are capped. That's not how we run the limited. That's not how Colorado runs its limited licenses. Now we look ahead to the northern part of the state where not only, I mean, back when I was with Garimos, uh, this is back when Cabela's was actually like the holy grail of all sporting goods places. And Sydney, Nebraska, which is just, just east of Wyoming, just off the northeast corner of Colorado, that was the flagship store. And back in the day, you could go to that store and everything in it was in the catalog was on the shelves in that store. So when people said, we're going to Cabela's, everybody was like, oh, seriously, oh, I want to go with it. Or, oh, I'm going to give you 500 bucks and I need this, this, and just go get the stuff for them, you know, because you didn't have to pay for shipping. Well, they used to have a promo because Colorado back in the day, well, still we have rifle seasons that are split. Okay. So back in the day, they would have a promotion, a big in-store event between the first rifle season and the second rifle season in Colorado. Just so happened to coincide with some of the rifle seasons going on in Wyoming. And so by doing that, it's on I-70 corridor. Anybody knows anything about the United States? You got, or excuse me, I-80. I misspoke. You have I-70 going across the United States. You have I-80 going across the United States east to west. And you have I-90 going across east to west. I-80 goes right straight straight through the middle, okay? And that goes right by Cabela's, Sydney, back in the day, flagship store. So they would put on this promotion the first week, basically the early October. You would have people from the east going west to go out elk hunting. And they would stop by the store to get all their gear on their way out. Meanwhile, you would have people leaving their first elk hunt and going back home. And they were stopped by the store to get all their whitetail stuff. So we were there to sell Primo's calls and talk to people. And I got the chance to talk to elk hunters, both coming and going. And this is not an exaggeration. If I had talked back in the day, if I talked to a hundred different hunters, 90 of them were going to Colorado. Of the 90 that were either coming from or going to Colorado, of the 90 that were going to or coming from Colorado, 80 of them were coming from Steamboat. Craig, Meeker, 
that area, that entire northern tier of the White River National Forest, from the Flat Tops Wilderness all the way up to the border, the, the state line. Well, that's still the same thing today. The, the number of people that want to hunt up there is incredible. That's where the wolves are going to go. So now not only do we have hunter pressure, you're going to have decreased elk population. You're going decreasing or even whether it's moderate, it's not going to be slight. It's either going to be moderate or severe, depending on the area and depending on how the courts inter- intervene with wolf management. But you're going to have a decreased elk population and you're going to have the same level of desire for people to hunt. So where do they go? Where do they go? At some point, I don't see where over-the-counter licenses are sustainable anymore. Your thoughts? No, I I agree. You know, when you initially pitched this, um, you know, I didn't think too much of it. But uh, again, uh, states, not just Idaho, but residents within the states are growing. I mean, every Western state is growing. And that impacts um, your hunter satisfaction and it impacts everything. Uh, so when you factor that in, uh, you know, you, you're, you're breaking it down and you have a very good map of how it's going to play out or how you think it's going to play out in, in Colorado. It may very well happen uh, quickly in Colorado. I, I, I see that in Idaho's future. I mean, you can't, you can't continue to just be over the counter for all of these residents in any unit they want and uh, still have quality, um, a quality experience. I, I think it's in the cards. I don't know when, and I cringe to think about it, but I don't see any way around it. I, and I don't think it's going to be in the next two, three, four years, but I easily could see it in the next 10, you know, because it's not just Colorado. Though. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, okay, if, if everybody gets squeezed out of Colorado, Utah, has over-the-counter spike bull hunts. There's going to be some people that are going to be like, well, shoot, I, you know what? I just, I don't give a crap. I just need, I need to go hunt. I want to go hunt. I want to go. I think you're going to start seeing everywhere get squeezed. And again, and we don't have, I'm looking at the time. I've, I've, I've had you on here for quite a while. I appreciate it. But, you know, this rolls into then what we were talking about with Drew with, the R3, you know, recruitment, retention, and reactivation, getting more, trying to get more people into hunting because we want more money for the, not, you know, the North American wildlife con- model of conservation, North American model of wildlife conservation. We want more sportsmen on the landscape. So we have a bigger voice and we have more money for our agencies to do more things with. But as we squeeze out quality opportunity, quality experience how are we going to still achieve that when that quality experience can only come every two three four years you know what i mean oh yeah yeah and how many how many people stay motivated if they can only hunt for every third or fourth year well i don't and i will speak to myself you won't you'll find a different let me rephrase that. You, you won't, but what you do is you don't let that happen. You go and you find a different outlet. And so when I lived in Colorado, when I was down in Colorado, I lived outside of Colorado Springs for a while 
I loved it down there because I was just a stone's throw from the rampart range and I could just go out my back door and I could fart around and there was turkeys there. And there was, I mean, hell, I mean, there was elk there if I wanted or mule or whatever. I had bighorn sheep down the, the hill and that's where I killed my first ram, blah, 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 blah. I, I loved it. But when I moved up to the Northern front range, it was a lot farther to go do anything. What did I end up doing? I got involved with a goose lease and I started goose. I hate, I love goose hunting. I hate setting up decoys. I can't say that. I just don't do it anymore. I, I found my outlet goose hunting. I had to do something. I had to have an outlet for my hunting drive and desire. So I channeled it in a different direction. And under my unintended consequences on my list here, that's what I'm looking at is because as somebody who manages ground out here in Kansas and who's listening to sportsmen and, and landowners out here, the number of people that are coming out of Colorado and other states, either leasing ground or just flat buying ground so that they have a place to go and hunt, I have a quality hunt experience, is just going right through the roof. The, ben the benefit, for because there's a lot of people these days that have a lot of, let's just put it this way. There are some people that have more money than they have time. And so they would rather spend a little money so that their time that they spend doing their hunting has more value, more meaning to it, more satisfaction to it than if they just go out there and fritter around on public land or, or places that where the hunt experience and the hunt satisfaction is less. Does that make sense? Yep. And so what we see is a lot of people leasing ground, buying ground. That's great for the landowners who want to sell. That's great for the landowners who want that income. And, and I am part of that. Again, here I am guilty. I am part of that, working with landowners and helping them realize an economic in, uh, benefit from hunting on their properties. However, for the locals, I'm not going to lie. The people that come out of state to buy up 160 acres or 200, 400, 600, whatever acres, they're not buying that ground so the locals have a place to hunt. They're buying that ground so their family has a place to hunt or their friends have a place to hunt. They lease that ground. They might lease 500 acres. They're not leasing that ground so the local farmer's kid down, you know, from the nearest town or the local banker's kid in town can have a place to hunt. They're doing it so they have a place to hunt. It works for the landowner. It's a great resource for the landowner that needs to pay their bills and pay the mortgage and pay the, 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 the bank note. But you end up seeing where local, especially economically suppressed communities, where local people have less and less hunting opportunity, which what do you think that does? Increase hunter conflict increases animosity. And here you go with a conversation in Kansas and other states, everybody's the same way, residents versus non-residents to where we need to do something about the non-residents. We need to do something. It's always about the non-resident. I have a feeling when we look at what's going, out west, going on out west 
and we won't go into it tonight, but Drew touched on it because we had had that discussion before. Remember that podcast we did that you deleted? We had talked about this. (laughs) I knew it would come up. I thought it would come up in the beginning. (laughs) I'm I'm just going to bury it. We had, we had talked about the fact of, of the hunter's carrying capacity. And I'm going to talk, I'll, I'll do a separate podcast about that. I'll record that one. Um, but, um, <laughs> save it. but, but where the thing is, is I see a point where Western hunting is fast approaching its carrying capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And we're That's seeing in some, in, in some areas, we've absolutely seen that we've exceeded that carrying capacity because we're, we're starting to see a check on our, you know, on our numbers, if you will units going limited, people bailing out of places. I, I think we're, unless the agencies, and if, whether we go from the state agencies to the federal agencies, unless we start focusing on increasing hunter carrying capacity, I think what we are going to see, it, that basically the 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 bell-shaped curve of the population dynamics you see you see the predator prey relationship where the one one population you know rises 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 reaches carrying capacity and then crashes and then it kind of recovers and then it kind of crashes again and it, at some point reaches an equilibrium equilibrium that is less than where it peaked and the question I have with some of what we're seeing, especially with over-the-counter hunting, how close to that peak are we in our hunter carrying capacity? Are we approaching it? Are we there yet? Have we crossed it? And will public land hunting fall back and crash back to a lower numbers, sustainable limit that is much less than what we have on the landscape now i i i don't i don't my bias is as i look at this and i I go forward i don't see how that's not the case you know the one monkey i'll i because i agree with you but the one monkey wrench i'll throw into this is you and i um you know, they're 40 year olds and up. We have a completely different view of, we saw the good old days, the 25 and 30 year olds who are just getting into it. They don't know any different. They don't, you know, they, they rubbing shoulders and bumping into people. That's just normal to them. Uh, For you and I, we run into somebody and, and I don't want to say it wrecks our day, but it's like, Oh man, somebody's out here. You know, somebody's on this ridge or somebody's in this basin. Uh, it's a different mindset. That that I will I will accept that. That's a fair point. I think you brought that up. But yeah, and I think you brought that up on in, in your podcast. And and I did the one I the, saved and the one and that published. that one that one yes yeah, the yeah, one I saved one. And not the, not the one that you deleted. No, the one that you saved this last one. Um, yeah, no, and in the and the. Anyway, I'm not going to digress. Um, you're right. You, you are right. Uh, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they have never experienced what they haven't experienced. 
And so their value set around hunting might actually flourish within the constraint of being able to have a quality hunt every other year, or maybe what they're, and quite honestly, maybe what their quote, quote unquote, normal will be is, well, one year we hunt Colorado and the next year we hunt Idaho. Next year we hunt Utah. The next year we go back to Colorado. Maybe you just round robin, you know, those areas that you can get a tag every other year or every three years. And it becomes staggered where their normal is they never hunt the same area two years in a row. They're just one next, next. And they just ABC, 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 ABC to where maybe for their mindset, they get, they look forward to like, dude, we had a blast in Colorado. Yeah, I know, but I can't wait to be in Utah next year. Oh yeah. I'll be awesome. Oh, I can't wait back. You know, maybe that's just, maybe that that's a fair point, man. That's a good perspective that it, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 50 tomorrow. So that puts me nice. at eight. Yeah. Yeah. You see all the gray in there? Well, no, you, you got a few years. I got a few years on you. Not many. Yeah. It shows on you though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I lived hard the first few years. <laughs> what was it? Uh, who was it? Uh, the comedian. Um, oh, crap. Said he'd go to field funeral. He, he basically he wants everybody, you know, if, if they go up to his casket, they want to look in and go, Jesus, just what the <laughs> hell? Just what the hell did that guy do? Oh, exactly. But anyway, my perspective is my my perspective is different because you mentioned the the 90s, you know, that's when I really entered the scene on elk hunting. I had done a lot, you know, whitetail and turkey was, I mean, especially turkey was my bread and butter up until then. But 90s is when I really jumped in on elk. Um, and man, the late 90s to the early 2000s was just in in my and good point, bro. I, I, Rob, I will give you that as a good point. In my frame of reference, what my quote unquote good old days were on over the counter public land hunting was really. But the late 90s to early 2000s. Now, granted, I've had some really good seasons scattered out across that time period ever, you know, since then. But when I look back on year in and year out, what I was able to experience, yeah, the late 90s, mid to mid 90s to early 2000s was incredible. But you're right, that that may not be the mindset of what the next generation of hunters coming up is. So maybe, maybe my view is more pessimistic because I'm not thinking, I'm, I'm thinking backward to what I experienced, not thinking ahead and what they might be experiencing and their value sets. So that's a fair point, man. I mean, maybe it's just good. Maybe there's not, maybe we aren't at the carrying capacity, man. That's maybe then, it's, maybe it's the carrying capacity for you and I. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Cause maybe it's a, yeah, there you go. There you go. It's a carry. It's, it's a carrying capacity for you and I based on our value sets and perceptions. Yeah. The value sets and perceptions of the next generation of hunters coming in where maybe they only hunt every other year, or every two years. That 
gives them a different bell-shaped curve. It, it, that puts their carrying capacity, if you will, on a completely different axis. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a completely different graph. You can't even graph it on the same graph. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's a that's a fair point. Maybe it's not as sky is falling as I thought. Maybe this isn't. I don't know. It's got, well, <laughs> one thing is I hope I live around long enough to to see. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. You're fifty. You get a lot more years. I, I mean, Jesus, Pete, I'm I'm half dead already. <laughs> you know what? My 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 attitude is hell no. Yeah, exactly. I'm, hell no. I'm friggin' I'm friggin' pickled. Yeah. I'll be around for a while. That's why I that's why I just drink more alcohol these days. That just way it just preserves it. It yeah. just preserves all yeah, the goodness. You... <laughs> oh man. Hey, it was a good discussion, dude. Uh, I no, I it. well, I appreciate you coming. I mean, seriously, I appreciate you coming on because I, I I'd always wanted to really get a grasp on what happened to Idaho. I just it seemed perceptibly to me that there was parallels. I just didn't know what if if I was right, if I was wrong, or how close if if I wasn't one hundred percent wrong and how it wasn't one hundred percent right, how close was I? So I think it's a good discussion. And, and you have the, the what I value about you, and I wanted to get you on is because you have the perspective of being there back in the day before the wolves. You were there while the wolves went up. You were there during the new transition of this this social media slash YouTube phenomena that really I think has helped drive the uh allure and and the the mist you know the 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 i don't know the mystique the i don't whatever you want to call it, the the allure of western hunting you know yeah. what i mean so you you yeah. were there in idaho to see all these changes you know and colorado i think is is on the doorstep of going through some of that and it'd be it was i just figured i'd get your you know your your perspective on it man right on man i appreciate it Cool. No, I appreciate your time. I know it's getting late. You, it's past your Betty by time. So uh, yeah, I will, I will uh, let you get to it. Um, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, go ahead. I mean, we've mentioned it, but definitely give every give it, give us all the digits on where to find you and your oh. podcast and all that. And um, yeah, the Stickbow Chronicles on Instagram, um, Facebook, and uh, yeah, any any uh, of your podcast outlets. The Stickbow Chronicles, and and uh, you know we're Stickbow guys, but we we we, we go down rabbit holes. We talk about uh, conservation and and uh, this type of stuff, and yeah, look us up. Yeah, no, you, it's a good podcast, and obviously I've been on it, so it's a, it's well, a great podcast. It's the so. guest. I'm a moron. <laughs> it's I've the had the opportunity. It, right? <laughs> yeah, I've had the opportunity to talk to some really awesome people. So it's it's I'm, not I'm me. Ho- it's the guest. I'm hoping that having you on will get me three or four, you know, three or four guests on this one. No, I thought I hit the big time when you called me. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe five or six guests. Hopefully, bring (laughs) your. If you've got two or three, then bring them over to ours, and 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 we'll we'll double (laughs) our numbers. We'll we'll double our numbers. (laughs) Sounds good, bud. All right, brother. Thanks, man. Have a great night. We will we will chat some more soon. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right, you too, man. Bye.